Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! Well, good morning, everyone. How are we all doing now that the uh, summer is over and the fall is upon us? <sighs> or maybe you're excited about it. Maybe you're like my friends here, posted this on Facebook this week. Yeah, the kids are back at school! Brian and Cindy Wade. Whatever your situation is, uh, as Tim has said, we're starting a new ministry year. And you might not be familiar with that language because it's not January, it's not the new year, but it is a new ministry year in the sense that in the programming around the life of a church, we often track with the school system, which starts in September and goes through till June. And so a lot of our programming, as you've been hearing about today, uh, starts off this week. So with that in mind, what I'd like us to do, not only today, but for the next few weeks, is to look at this key idea, vision. We don't do it a whole lot here in this gathering. Maybe it happens a little bit in small groups like our ministry leaders and our life group leaders coming together to have a conversation around what is our vision. But I want us collectively to take a look at what our vision statement is and then collectively say what of that do we own for ourselves and really want to work on. The word vision means simply to see, but it also can mean to have the ability to see something that hasn't yet happened. So this is one definition, the ability to see the future and to make a plan to make that vision happen. We would say this is to imagine, right? To be able to imagine something in your mind that you can see and then to carry it out and make sure that it gets completed. So this last week I was listening to the radio and I heard about this really cool thing that went on at GW Graham and then I read it in the paper yesterday and I thought, this is amazing. The students in the welding class of G.W. Graham, won a $15,000 prize for a competition across the country, yeah, by making this barbecue. This is a grizzly bear barbecue because, you know, the G.W. Graham Grizzlies is their mascot. It weighs 4,000 pounds. And, uh, And someone had to have the vision for that, right? Someone had to imagine it. The best part about this barbecue is that when you're cooking, the smoke comes out of the nostrils. And to quote my father-in-law, John Halstead, if it's smoking, it's cooking. If it's burnt, it's done. Maybe you wonder how men know how to barbecue. Well, there we go. So so, someone had to envision that, right? Someone had to have the idea and then to carry it out ahead of time. That's what the idea of being able to envision something to see it through. Now, when Anne and I and our family many years ago were down in Bolivia, South America, we had one of these really cool experiences where we got to envision something and see it happen. We were working with a youth ministry network between the churches in the city of Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz at that time was just over a million people. Uh, We were working with about 100 churches, and it represented thousands of youth and young adults. One of the needs that they had, one of the dreams that they had, was to have a camp. And I had heard that they actually owned land just outside of the city of Santa Cruz, and that at one time they had planned to have a camp there. And so I got the leaders together, and we all went out to the site, and I got there, and I'm like, wow, this is a dilapidated mess. Broken down, half-built building, half-built water tank, grass, and everything overgrown on the property. But then they started to share with me their dream. They're like, hermano Rodrigo, sabes qué? And they were talking to us about what they'd always dreamed for this camp for their churches. And pretty soon, I'm sitting there listening to their dream, and I'm starting to get excited about it because all of a sudden, I can see it. 
I can see the renovated dormitory and the new water tank to supply new showers and bathrooms and the new kitchen and the chapel site. I, I started to be able to see this and I got excited. And I went home to my wife. I said, Ann, you can't believe it. The denomination owns property outside of the city of Santa Cruz and it would be a great place for a camp. I want to show it to you. So I got her in the vehicle and we went out there to the site together and she gets onto the site and she looks around. She said, this is your camp? <laughs> You might as well get a bulldozer in here and level it. That's what she said. Well, she wasn't wrong, actually. You know, that might have actually made sense just to level whatever was there and start from scratch. But we didn't. I started to share with her what our vision was. One of the interesting things was is that um, once we got into building the camp, uh, the numerous one of the brothers there kept saying to me, you know, we've always wanted to have a swimming pool. And I would just smile politely. Oh, yeah? <laughs> How about we start with running water in the bathrooms? <laughs> before we get to the swimming pool. So I was, you know, I kind of put that one off because there were other priorities, but we got into it. And pretty soon, Camp Torope was born. The site became cleaned up and beautiful, and we started to put in uh, new dormitories, one for the girls, one for the guys, and then um, a new dining hall, and it doubled as a chapel, and there was a kitchen, and there was a sports field, and all these different things were coming together, even a new house for the caretaker and his wife so that they could live there and take care of the place. It's serviced, like I said, hundreds, thousands of youth and young adults and families and men and women and children, and it's still going on today. In 2006, this church, Sardis Fellowship, sent a team down to Bolivia. My wife and I had only been home two years at that time. And while we were there, we went out to Camp Torope, and we found out that they put a plaque up on the side of one of the buildings, recognizing our work for this camp. And if you're wondering, huh, who's, who's that little sketch guy? Well, that's what we looked like back then. <laughs> Look at that dark hair. <laughs> chubby cheeks. And guess what? <laughs> they have a swimming pool. I was on their Facebook this week and they got a swimming pool. I'm like, good on ya. Someone had a vision. Someone made it happen. That's what vision is. The ability to see the future and to make a plan and make it happen. Camp Torope. That was the name of the camp. It was a great experience for me and I learned a lot. But you know, it's one thing to think about creating or building or making um, a grizzly bear barbecue or buildings that become a campsite or, or even renovating a church or adding on or whatever. That's one level of kind of vision that we say, what would it take if it were to look like that? And we are enjoying this facility right here because people had a vision to say, what if we expanded our auditorium? It used to seat 280 people just five or six years ago, seven actually, 2016 we built this. And uh, boy, how that time just keeps going by, right? It'll be seven years this November that we moved into this facility. But someone had a vision for a facility and it got built and there was a plan in place. But here's where I want us to go today. Do we have a vision about life? What about those things that are a little more abstract and harder to put our finger on as far as, well, how would that happen? Do you envision something about your life as the years go on? Do we stop and reflect on that and do that? Or, or is it just kind of like, well, no, life is just happening. I, I'm responding to life. Or, or am I out in front to a certain degree being able to say, Lord, I'm aiming at something. Now, I know there's a whole lot that happens in life that I don't get to control. I get that. But do we have a vision in our minds with who we are as people and where we might want to be? And if we take it one step further from just life in general, you know, whether you want to get married or whether you want to have children or whether you want to own a house or whether you want all those kinds of things that we think of when we hear the word life, but I want you to think of it through the lens of your faith. What does it look like in your spiritual life as you envision the future? 
If you envision the future, is there something different that you would say about your spiritual life that you would like to see changed? What would your life look like if you're envisioning your walk with God, your daily, everyday walk with God? What would it look like in your character, in whom you have become as a person? What would it look like in those that you love the most that are your closest relationships? Maybe in your family, if you're married, what does your relationship look like with your spouse? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Do I need to keep going for some? 60. What would it look like with your children? Oh yeah, they're young now and they're involved in all the programs and all you're doing is taking them from A to B and you're driving yourself crazy because that's life at that stage of life. But have you looked down the road? What does it look like when they're leaving home and I know you don't want to think about that, but what what do you envision these relationships being? Because we have an opportunity now to stop and look forward and say, God, I want you there in my life. I want you doing something in and through me, and it starts now. If we can envision it in our minds, what does it look like with your colleagues at work or your friends or your neighbors or those that are close to you that don't know the Lord? Is there by any chance any envisioning that your life would impact their life, that they would come to faith in Christ between now and then? I want us to envision. I admire my parents' face, faith. <laughs> I do that from time to time where my THs and my Ss get mixed up. I hope you appreciate that. I admire my parents' faith. It's a sincere expression of following Christ, and they've been doing it faithfully for many years. Now, one of the things that my dad always tries to do when we have our family get-togethers, and let me tell you, they're quite large, is at a certain point in, in the evening, he pulls us all together for a little circle time where we share about what's going on in life and we pray for one another. It's very cool. I admire him for that. This past year, I got to play my dad, and um, all of our kids were together, and their future spouses, you know, that kind of stage of life, uh, with our grandpa and grandma, Anne's parents down in Oregon, which they hadn't been together like that for four years. So it was a big deal for our family to be together. Sorry, that kind of caught me. Life changes fast. So we're there, and I'm thinking to myself, I'd like to do what my dad has done. I have seen how he's rallied us together and kept our family united around our faith in Christ. That was his vision. I want that too. So I'm not starting from scratch. I've been a part of that, but now I'm going, I'm in the driver's seat. What would I do with my own children and grandchildren now that I'm kind of in the role of my dad? And so I thought, well, I don't want it to feel forced. I don't want it to feel like it's a spiritual heavy, you know, oh, great, dad, the pastor is going to call us all together and preach, right? Like, my kids don't need Pastor Rod. My kids need dad. So I prayed about it, and I asked the Lord, help me do this. And then I had a couple passages of Scripture that came to my mind that I could read that would maybe help set the direction of what I would envision. I I told them ahead of time, this is what I'd like to do. They all seemed to be on board with that, and then we had our moment. The cool thing was, as we started to kind of share, one of our kids asked grandpa and grandma, well, how did you two become Christians? I mean, I'm sure they'd heard it when they were younger, but there they were in their adult years, hearing from grandpa and grandma how God had worked in their life, how they'd become saved in the Lord by his amazing grace and how God had brought them together. And then the, the spiritual truth and, and godly wisdom that was coming out of them to the kids. And I'm just sitting there like, wow. I went to bed that night thinking this was way better than I ever could have imagined. But I did imagine something. But God, you showed up and you did it. And I'm asking you as you sit here at the beginning of this year and you're looking at your life for the upcoming weeks and months and year, is it just going to kind of devolve back into that rud, that rush of life, that pace that takes away maybe some of the joy and takes away some of the initiative? Or are you going to say, no, I envisioned something and I'm going to start working on it this fall. 
What do you envision for you, for your family, for your community, for our church family? So this year, I want to spend a few weeks talking about vision. Why is Sardis Fellowship Baptist Church here? Well, partly to help you do just what we've been talking about right there. But we also have a community around us, and we believe that God has called us to this community. That's why we're here. So our leadership team got together back in January. It was the first time we had a full-day retreat since COVID started. So three years. Man, was it good to be back together again. Talking about the things that we believe matter. Seeking God and prayerfully asking Him, I know your mission, Lord, for this church, but what is our vision for who we are, where we're located in the year 2023? How do we help people become disciples of Jesus Christ? That's our mission. So we met in the beautiful West Bow offices in their boardroom. It was gorgeous. And we started to look at our vision and values. We looked at our present vision statement and we started to say, is it still relevant? And we looked at our values and said, what do we really believe the values of Sardis Fellowship to be? Now, this is a work in progress. We met again in April and we kind of dialogued again around it. We'll meet again this fall. Uh, So this isn't a finished work. But we do have a statement that was developed and shaped by this congregation in 2012. Well, that's a long time ago. And every so often we come back to it and we take a look at it and we see if it's still relevant. And we did that again. And we believe that we actually have a very good vision statement, which I'll show you in a moment. But for those of you who are people who know the ordering of things, you go, yes, but what's our mission? (laughs) I don't know if this is in your wheelhouse or not, but you know, you kind of start with your mission and your purpose and then you get to your vision because it's kind of the how. What is our mission? Oh, I just want to say that our mission is pretty much the great commission and the great commandment. The great commission is to make disciples of all nations, of all people. And the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Almost every church that's out there, it should be anyways, that their mission statement should reflect something of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself, making disciples of all nations, right? So we exist to make disciples. That's what the church does. That's what the church is. We share with other people that they might come to know Jesus. That's making disciples. And so that's our mission statement um, found in those two phrases, captured there. The mission of Sardis Fellowship is to love God and love people to God. The bottom line is that we are on God's mission in this world. We're not on our own, okay? We're on his mission. We are about the work of Christ in the world. That's the idea. Our vision statement is to help us accomplish our mission of making disciples. So there's some specificness to our vision statement, that language around it that makes us go, yeah, okay, that's how I think we're going to do this. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So this is the vision statement that has been ours for a number of years. Our leadership team took a look at it. We made one little change. We added the word loving that you're going to see there in the phrase. Otherwise, the phrase has stayed the same. Our vision is to be a community centered in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, to the glory of God, as a visible, transformative, loving, just presence in our local community and the world. Okay, I know there's a lot in there. That's why we're going to talk about this. Where do we see this happening in the life of our church? That's how it's often helped us, centered in Christ, visible community, transform our world. We look at that and we say, where do we see that happening in the life of our church? Well, if we gather for a Bible study, okay, that's centered in Christ. Visible in community, where does that happen? Transforming the world, are we seeing transformation? Okay, so we're, we're kind of looking at where do we put our time and our talent and our energies? Where do we see us doing what we believe God has called us to do? So that's kind of how the vision statement works. Uh, We were working with a leadership coach named Phil Routley with our leadership team. He stepped us through an idea. He took our statement and he kind of reordered it, put it in an arrow to give it direction. You're moving. You want to go somewhere. 
Sardis Fellowship vision statement, to be a community centered in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, to the glory of God, and then here's where he switched a few things around, as a loving, just, visible, transformative presence in our local community and world. Like I said, there's a lot in there. The outcome of a vision statement is to make disciples. That's the goal. But there's a key word in there that I want you to pick up on, and it's the word transformative. You see, the work of Christ is transformative, which then a person would be a follower, a disciple. That's what disciple means, to follow. It is Christ's transformative work in our community and world that we are aiming at. How does this all happen? To be a community. Let's start by taking the pieces and talking about them. Tim Voth says this every once in a while. He says, you know, you, you take a piece out and you hold it up to the light and you study it, you understand it, and then you put it back together again. And that's what I kind of want to do with this phrase here today is kind of pull it apart and then put it back together. And hopefully we'll have buy-in that, yes, we believe this is what we're called to. To be a community. Centered in Christ, of course. Ephesians 4.4 4 says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. You know, by nature of the fact that you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and by nature of the fact that I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are united together in community. We are put into what's called the body of Christ. I don't get a choice on that. You don't get to say, yeah, no, I don't want to be in with that other person. <clears throat> That's not your call to make. You are both in because of Jesus, your Savior. Now the question is, do you love one another? That's coming up. We are in this community with the worldwide church of God. Tim was praying for some Christians in India. They're persecuted. Those are our brothers and sisters of Christ as much as with your local community where you gather, your brothers and sisters in Christ here. You follow? You are knit together into one body. We are a community. But that community is centered in Christ. And this is very significant because everything we do is about Jesus. I mean, we don't want to talk about the church, and we don't want to talk about a great program. We want to talk about the person who makes a difference in our lives, and that's Jesus. It's not me, and it's not you, and it's not us, and it's not what we do. It's Jesus. Yes, we do these other things. The programs and whatnot are the excuses to come together or to do something that will help a person either know Christ or grow in Christ. So, in Christ, centered in Christ. And we try to evaluate our programming against that. It is not about being an organized system. It's not about institution, as you often hear. It's not even about a set of moral values. The gospel is Jesus, and so we point people to Jesus. I don't ever want to be up here bragging about how good we are or what we have done. That's not to God be the glory, right? We want to brag about Jesus Christ, the one and only thing that we can brag about. Because you can brag about that one right through the doors of heaven. You can brag about anything else up until the doors of heaven. But on the other side of heaven, there's only one brag. Jesus. Thank you for that, amen. Harvey's not here this morning. I needed that help. <clears throat> amen. amen. Got two. Um, I know you're on board with that. I get it. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. See, that's the key. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. We are centered in Christ. Everything we do is about Jesus. And then as Tim was saying, we're empowered by the Spirit. We don't do this in our own strength, our own flesh. Um, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to change a person's life, to make a difference. The transformation part, we can, 
we can be a transformative presence to the degree that we shine the light of Christ who is the transformative presence in us, right? So you, wherever you go, bring that transformative presence into the world. You are the one who carries that. But it is the empowering of the Holy Spirit to bring about transformation. And so right from the beginning, when the disciples were going to go out and be the witness of Christ, they were empowered. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We are here, the ends of the earth. Chilliwack is about as far from Jerusalem as you can get on the map. Okay, so we're it. We're right here, ends of the earth, but it hasn't ended because Jesus is with us to the end of the age. To the ends of the earth, to the end of the age, this is our mandate. We're still carrying on. Kevin Fraser, you're a good man. <clears throat> I'm giving you a salary increase on your volunteer pay. 100%. This is a generous gift. We do all of this, okay, to the glory of God. That's in our statement. As my one pastor friend said so many years ago when I was a young uh, 23-year-old, full of so much pride, full of so much energy, full of so much nonsense, he would say this, we don't touch the glory. And I remember when he said it, I was like, oh, I know what you mean. We're starting to sound like we're bragging because we think we're pretty good. No, no. The glory goes to God. The glory is God's. Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, by extension, anything that we do by way of a vision of reaching our community, by extension of Christ and what he did on the cross to the glory of God, we too are doing it for the glory of God. That's just clear. We don't mess with that. Then our statement goes on to say, we are to be a loving, just, visible, transformative presence. Where? In our local community and around the world. At home and away. Like a sports team who plays home games and away games, okay? We support the work of God at home and we support the work of God away. Wherever it is around the world and to the degree that we can, we try to help where God is at work in the world that he's called us to partner with. A loving Just, visible, transformative presence. Loving. I think we understand that word pretty good. Uh, We talk about it a lot. It's very central and key to our faith. It's central to the message of Christ. It's central to what he demonstrated in the giving of his life. And therefore, he speaks to us with this kind of power, Christ does, speaks to us powerfully about what he wants this to look like. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. We'll unpack that one day, not today. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you're new to the Christian faith, you might not understand all that life, but what Christ did on the cross, he did for me, he did for you, to cover our sins, to pay for our sins, that we might be free of it, forgiven of it. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I think the word love is probably like 15 times in that short little passage. What I'm trying to say is that central to the way in which we go about doing anything is in a spirit of love. What about this word, a just presence? That one might confuse us a little bit. We're not trying to be hammer. 
We're trying to care about social justice issues. We're trying to care about the things that God, in the word of God, has told us he cares about. And here's a verse that kind of sums sums that up. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Justice. Do we have a sense of caring about the needs of the world around us, or do we just want to make sure that I'm okay? I protect my little square footage, right? Or do I understand that God's square footage goes around the globe? A visible presence, um, we talk about this from time to time. Visible presence happens by nature of the fact that every single day that you are out there, you are out there as a witness. It could be a good one or a bad one. Um, Not that we're perfect, but sometimes our witness isn't that great. So I put a little phrase here. We bring no light to the world if we're not out in the world. So if you just never get out and meet anyone, well, that's not quite happening. On the flip side, we bring no light to the world if we don't let the light of Christ shine through us to the world. Do you follow? And then this verse, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, a visible presence. So when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to the gym, when you go to the store, when you participate in community activities like our neighborhood barbecue block party this Saturday, that's out in community. By the way, Andrew and Kyle, you should talk to G.W. Graham and get that grizzly bear. That would be awesome. I, I think we need the smoke coming out of the nostrils. But if you are out in community and community activities, you are being visible individually. Collectively, we want to be visible. We have collective elements when we serve at Ruth and Naomi's or go to Adult and Teen Challenge or help out at Afternoon Adventures or work with the Society for Community Living Next Door. We have a visibleness by even the fact that we've gathered here today. We are visible in community by gathering here to worship God. That's one of our values and our vision is visible in community. To be what? A transformative presence. Transform. Um, I saw a kid in here yesterday. He came to help his dad who was fixing our Wi-Fi system. It was uh, Logan Brown, actually, him and his brother Spencer. They had transformers. I was like, brilliant. For all you kids out there that are into transformers, which, you know, when I was 13, I I remember this stuff, right? Optimus Prime. You could transform it into a semi-truck or this big dude. Transform means to make thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of Christ coming into our lives transforms us, changes us in our character. He changes us. He brings us also into being a part of his redemptive, transformative work. So we get to share in it. So he does it in us, and then he invites us to do that for others. Not that we do it, but we can help other people understand and know Christ. And that's what these verses here, I believe, really capture Um, especially that part, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see, we're a part of that transformed process. If Christ has done his work in my heart and life, I'm a conduit to help someone else know this message. And so the transformative presence in our community and world is what each and every one of us are called to do. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. You're a part of it. You might not feel like it. You might go, Rod, what are you talking about? I don't do much of that. Well, you know what? By nature, the fact that Christ's light shines in you, you're doing something with it because you're out there every day. And what I'm saying is, do we, can we envision what Christ might want to say? I want to do more through us. I want to do more. A loving, just, visible, transformative presence in our local community and word, uh, world. I want to be a part of that. I hope you do too. I personally want to experience a deeper work of God's transformation in my own heart and life. 
And I personally want to be involved in the ways in which God wants to take and use my life to help someone else experience that as well. Do you want this too? I'll close with a question. What did Jesus envision when he was about to die on the cross the night before? Wash the disciples' feet in that context. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The reason why I end here is for this. We are not about words on paper on a mission statement or a purpose statement or a vision statement. We are not about a strategy. We are not about widgets. We are about people. About people who need to know the love of God. Therefore, the greatest witness we will ever have is how we interact and treat one another in the body of Christ. I want Sardis Fellowship. I envision Sardis Fellowship continuing to grow in love and grace so that when people meet us individually or when people meet us collectively or when a person comes in here for the very first time who's never been to church before, they would walk away knowing that they have experienced the love that Jesus Christ demonstrated for his first disciples and for each and every one of us. I want our church culture to be saturated in the knowledge of the love of God for ourselves and in the grace of God for one another. I believe that will be our greatest witness. Vision, transformed by the power of God. So imagine with me one year from today, September 9th, kickoff Sunday, 2024. The sun is shining, the barbecue is going to be happening, and I stand up here and I preach to you. I look out over the congregation. What's changed? Because I do see something. And I want to spend the next three weeks talking about transformed by the power of God. That's what I believe God wants for us personally. And I believe that's what he wants for us collectively. That we would be bringing that message of hope to our world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you, as Tim has already said, are that God who reached out to his world. That you reached out to us. We sang that song, For God So Loves the World. We heard the verse. You sent your son. You did that for us. You came for us. Lord, might we not stop there? We don't want to stop short of what you're asking of us. And so help us to be a transformative, visible presence in our local community and world. Fill our hearts with your love. Fill our hearts with your grace. Help those who meet us understand that Jesus Christ is the most important person in our lives. I pray for that for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.